I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money, and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr, and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, money wise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it seemed like we went from cabin fever of winter to the shutdown of the country because of pandemic. And now it's uh, warmer and we all want to get out and travel, right? We want to do something, even if it's local. Well, my name is Bo Matthews, and we're going to start the show off with some uh, great news that Six Flags is really working their best to get their park open out in Eureka. And I was just in a meeting the other night uh, talking about they are planning to do it as safely as possible so everybody can enjoy the park and still be safe at the same time. But, you know, there's a lot of wonderful places to see right within the borders of this country. And there's a lot of places I haven't seen, a lot of places I have seen. Uh, there's, boy, there's one, the Ark Encounter. I still have not yet to see that in eastern uh, Kentucky. I, I would love to travel there. But the best places to visit in the U.S., if you're still trying to work out a family vacation, of course, number one in the best places to visit in the U.S.A., according to travel uh, news, is the Grand Canyon. I've seen parts of it, never seen the whole thing, but it's beautiful. Yellowstone is a great destination. Yosemite is number two. Uh, Glacier National Park is a fantastic place. Uh, New York City, if you uh, have been wanting to go there, well, there's uh, there's definitely ways to get there. The Big Apple has so many things to do, great restaurants, and when it's safe to do for, for yourself, then it's time to make that trek, right? And I've been trying to get back to the East Coast to see my father, who lives in New Jersey, uh, just because I haven't seen him in so long. FaceTime only does so much good, right? San Francisco, Washington, D.C., these are all on a list that was put together a while ago. Now, if you want to go west of St. Louis, Telluride, Oh, yeah. The small mountain town in Colorado. It has so many visitors year round uh, during the winter months, especially for the skiing. But it's even more beautiful because it's warmer uh, in the summertime. So if you can travel west, I had some friends that just went to Sturgis not long ago. Heck, I got an email. I'm hooked up with uh, Allegiant Airlines, you know, because I've flown on them a couple of different times. They have flights literally as low as $25. I looked up just a random destination from Belleville's airport of uh, Allegiant Airlines, and it was like $31 one way to Daytona, Florida. So really a lot of great places to see right here within this country, uh, but also right here around the St. Louis area. You could go uh, to the Transportation Museum, the Butterfly House, the St. Louis Zoo, uh, the, the aquarium downtown. And we've got great news that the Lewis and Clark Boathouse and Museum in St. Charles has reopened. And I have the honor to introduce you to the chairman of the board, Jan Donaldson. Welcome to the, uh, welcome to the program here on KMOX. Tell me what's going on out your way, sir. That is correct. Uh, we uh, have... Uh a museum right there on the riverfront in uh, Frontier Park of uh, St. Charles. And uh, we are the Lewis and Clark Discovery Expedition of St. Charles. And so we have uh, our three boats, and we have also a museum there as well that has a lot of exhibits, history, and uh, uh, conservation 
things about the river and the riverfront. Well, since COVID-19, this is good news. You guys have already been open a couple of weeks, uh, but this is just one of those gems, I believe, that people just don't know about. Uh, Fort Deschards over in southern Illinois. I went over, I've been over there several times, and when I I did an interview with uh, the person that uh, runs that or takes care of it, uh, there was people emailing me and contacting me saying, I didn't even know it existed. There's so many great things. Tell me about uh, how long you've been involved with Lewis and Clark uh, Boathouse and Museum, sir. Well, I've been involved since about uh, 2003. The boathouse was built right around 2000, uh, and it was uh, a facility that was opened for the uh, bicentennial, uh, the commemoration of uh, the trip that Lewis and Clark took all the way to the Pacific and back. So um, uh, we reenacted that trip as a group. Uh, with our boats, we went down the river and and uh, we uh, had educational venues all up and down the river telling the story of of the Native Americans along with the Lewis and Clark Trail and and everybody in between. That's fantastic. Uh, you guys got a a new uh, a new feature, a new exhibit uh, at this uh, at this location. Talk about Seaman. Well, Seaman was the dog that Lewis and Clark took with them. And, uh, you know, I have a, a Newfoundland with me. Actually, he's, uh, he's right next to me. And uh, uh, he is, uh, Newfoundlands are very uh, uh, people-friendly, and they're also excellent water dogs today. They use them for water rescue. But uh, back then, they didn't have uh, the ships and everything. And since uh, uh, the boats were going to be on the river quite a bit, I think Lewis felt like uh, they needed uh, uh a water dog, and back then they took uh, water dogs with them on ships as they crossed the ocean because they didn't have life preservers. <laughs> Sailor or somebody fell over, they'd send the dog after them. <laughs> of course. So, uh, anyway, um, that's that's uh, one reason why we believe Lewis uh, took a Newfoundland with them, and uh, they're great dogs. Uh, the uh, he, They were quite the show. Yeah, he was quite the show. Seaman was throughout the whole trip, uh, going to all the different Indian nations and meeting different people. And I'm sure there'll be an exhibit about your dog someday down the road, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, with people still being, you know, reluctant to go out and, you know, to, you know, to get away from the, you know, the stay at home orders, they're just playing it safe. You guys have done something really special that really can help a lot of people, a lot of children, a lot of teachers. Let's talk about the virtual uh, experiences that you have uh, in the Lewis and uh, Clark Boathouse and Museum. Well, uh, we have different exhibits. Uh, one of them is a really uh, uh, kid-friendly uh, uh, ex- uh, exhibit about the conservation of the rivers. Uh, they can uh, form the rivers, uh, you know, interactive display. Yeah. And, uh activity and they can see how the rivers flow and how how they are managed by nature and the kids will love it and uh, we've got that semen uh, exhibit that uh, is going to be opening up here very soon and uh, we're excited about that and then down below the museum uh, from all the other artifacts that they have in the museum we have the boats Wow, that's fantastic. We're talking with Jan Donaldson. He is the chairman of the board of uh, the wonderful exhibit. It's right here in our own backyard, Lewis and Clark Boathouse and Museum. Uh, And as a matter of fact, the information I had was about three years ago, um, you guys were talking with HBO about a possible miniseries. Can you tell me where that's at, if you you can share any information? Well, an interesting fact about that is that um, uh, 
as far as HBO is concerned, it's it's um, it's unfortunate, but they canceled it. But the best part about it is that now we're in the movie making business ourselves. Are you now? <laughs> we, are ma- we are making, we've taken a lot of their, uh, we were able to acquire a lot of their props and set deck uh, from that movie uh, that never happened or the film series that never happened. And we are making our own film series wow. and it's educational in nature. It's three to four minute, five minute film shorts uh, about the events of the expedition and um, uh, special things that have happened. We just uh, completed um, uh, uh, filming this weekend uh, over in Camp Dubois on the Illinois side, and so we are doing this for the purpose of interactive uh, film shorts for teachers' aides um, and long-distance learning and uh, remote learning. And it's all because of COVID, and of course we were doing this last fall and got this in works, and now it's... uh, now it's uh, uh, the thing that has to be done uh, for a lot of people is the distance learning. Yeah, and I think the beauty is is that it will reach more people, whether uh, they're in the St. Louis metro area, they can't travel here, they can still benefit from the efforts that you guys are doing on this. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got several different ways that we can, we can move through, uh, through the, uh, the journals of Lewis and Clark, yeah. and this is one way to do it. And so we're... We're looking to uh, make this uh, our educational initiative, the focus of our educational initiative, and we're hoping to be able to uh, fund this. And so we've uh, developed a raffle and, and donations that we can do. And and uh, if people want to get involved or want to help out, they can text Keelboat to 41444. And uh, they'll be able to assist us in this uh, adventure of education. Okay, tell me the word again. The keyword to punch in is what? It's keelboat, K E E L B O A T, at 41444. Perfect. Okay, and if people want to find out hours and location, directions, all that good stuff, what is the website for the Lewis and Clark Boathouse and Museum, sir? The website is Lewis and A and D Clark Center dot org. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jan, for joining us on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. I believe we're going to send some people your way. Well, thank you. We're going to shift gears coming up next. I'm going to introduce you to a longtime friend of mine who owns Comfort Zone Security and Investigations, LLC. His name is Big Mitch. I've known him for several years, and he came to mind when I first saw the headlines of defunding, dismantling the police departments around our country and what that looks like and what his opinion is because he is a trusted source and a trusted friend. That's coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Okay, when you hear the term defund police, what do you think of? Who do you who do you call? But one person that came to mind was a guy that I know as Big Mitch. He's from Comfort Zone Security and Investigation, LLC, in St. Louis. And uh, I guess your claim to fame was that you were security for the Sweetie Pies family. This world is changing every single day. Uh, has your company stayed busy through the uh, coronavirus? Yes, we did shut down. I mean, we consider uh, essential. Uh, so, you know, we uh, answer calls for different uh, measures of uh, security and protection and things of that sort. So, yeah, we've been pretty much uh, going ever since. And uh, and tell me, as the uh, headlines change every single day, uh, has uh, the people that you have in your company, has their life changed 
uh, with what's going on? Is there more demand for you? Because when I hear defund police, I think, okay, what if something needs to be investigated? Well, that's something you guys do on a private level. I mean, you're prof- it's a profession, but you know what I'm saying, a private level. I could say, Mitch, come come investigate this, right? Yeah, see, I'm a licensed private investigator for the state of Missouri. And, yes, you know, with my police background, you know, I'm on both sides of the fence now, you know, because I've been uh, 30 years in law enforcement uh, at the state, federal, city, and county level as a federal air marshal, as a city police officer in Memphis, Tennessee. Right. Correct, corrections in Texas and corrections in Memphis. And I just retired recently from the Moscow Mills as a lieutenant for the police department. So this is a pretty, uh, I guess, uh, sour taste in my mouth with everything that's happening in the, uh, in the publicity that's, you know, going toward police officers. Right. Now, did you know uh, Captain David Dorn personally? I did not, but uh, a couple of my acquaintances and a couple of people that uh, have, uh, I work, they work for my company off duty, have, uh, they had a relationship with them. Uh, so sure, I didn't know of I, I knew of him, but I didn't ever personally meet him. Man, I'll tell you what. Over all of the uh, headlines that I've seen about him, there is not one person that I've seen say anything negative about the guy. He was just salt of the earth, you know. Yes, I think it's just one of the things that you call to duty. You know, when you get called to duty, you know, if you're doing some kind of like a, you know, some people relate to it as moonlighting, but we call it off duty or, or we call it, you know, a, secondary, a, right? Secondary and things like that. And I think he just had a relationship with Lee's Pond. After he retired from the uh, St. Louis City, yeah. he was doing some duty for him, and he got the call that, hey, you know, he's going to start looting leads. Can you get down here and kind of help out? You know, and I think he just was trying to, you know, do an honorable thing by going there, you know, and uh, trying to stay true to the guys who he, uh, you know, did work for in the past. And, and it's just a tragedy that uh, it came across people who didn't have values and morals that they felt like material things uh, override a, a human life. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And, you know, I got to tell you, Mitch, uh, when I when I first heard the term defund police, uh, my, my immediate thought was, okay, what is the world going to look like if that's a case? Because I, I believe personally that we need to, you know, have maybe even better training for police officers, uh, especially in this environment, since, uh, you know, the Ferguson deal happened. I mean, everybody's been on pins and needles as a police officer, and I know a bunch of them. Uh, what breaks my heart is the fact that police officers go in and they put their 40 in, and then they've got to go do secondary to pay the bills. That, that to me, as a radio guy, I need a break. I don't know how in the world, you, you know, guys are putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week just to pay the bills. So I think funding the police more would, would maybe be better because they'd be fresher, you know, like when you take a vacation, right? Yes. You know, you're, you're totally right. And I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly, but at the same time, you know, most of these officers doing 12 and 12, you know, and after they're getting a lot of overtime right now. So they will benefit from a, uh, I guess, a financial standpoint. Sure. Sure. As far as, as, far as the fatigue and the uh, tear and wear of the body of dealing with all the things that tra- transpired with uh, looting and rioting and, and being, you know, disrespected and things like that, you know. And I think rightfully so. I mean, I always honor the badge. Like I told you on the offset that I did 30 years in law enforcement as a sworn police officer. And, you know, in in, in every profession, you're going to have a percentage that they're going to do the job right. Of and course. That's what punishes everyone else, you know. We got, you know, just like a, a doctor, a lawyer, a, a nurse, or a, a, a construction worker. You a know, plumber, everybody. anybody. I know there's always yeah. going to be a certain group that's going to be the, the bad eggs, right? Yeah, and that's what we and that's what have happened. You know, when you got officers who who are sworn to uphold the law, and, and when they uh, do an affidavit saying they swearing that this affidavit is true, it correct, the best of your ability and everything, you have to a standard because as a police officer, you just carry the ink pen give you power because you got the right to take a person's freedom right. by putting an arrest ticket. 
And you're carrying a gun, you got the right to take a person's life if you deem it was necessary, and whatever. So you got a lot of power. But it's one thing to have power, but it's one thing to have the power control you. You got to be able to control the power. And I think with this, I'm an old school police officer. So I, I was, you know, went to the academy back, you know, in the days when, you know, people respected the police. Now it's a whole lot of disrespect toward the police. And it's so hard for recruiting of different departments. I, I know the uh, Jefferson County Sheriff. He said, we pay good money. He said, it's, it is like pulling teeth to try and recruit new recruits. Um, but it, it's got to be such a struggle because you're right. You know, as kids, we'd always ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you'd hear policeman, firefighter, veterinarian, and you barely ever hear that anymore. And that just breaks my heart because, like you just said, the cops are the good guys. You, you, the, 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 man, the man or the woman with the badge are the good guys. And it just seems like one instance in Minneapolis – it just paints the entire police department all over the country in a bad light, and I just don't agree with that at all. Well, you know, when I was starting out policing back in the early 90s, so they're kind of like telling my age, but, you know, <laughs> we didn't have all the social media. We didn't have all the cameras and everything like that. Right now, it's a different wave. It's a different lifestyle. Yep. Now, people are recording every time they see a police got one pulled over when they see a police interacting with anyone. So, you know, when you out here doing your job, and they went to the body cam just recently from the uh, Ferguson incident. Yeah. So a lot of things have changed that put the police in a different light. So when you're out here doing a job, you got to do it, you know, the right way in the best way. I mean, you know, it's a, it is a hard job. I mean, you, you can own a $300 million house and you hear somebody in your backyard. You're not going to go out there and investigate. You're going to call the police to go out there and investigate. Absolutely. So, you know, so, you know people, you know, we're the best things in sliced bread when you need us. But when you got to do your job, sometimes you can find a fund to do your job, but you got to do the job the right way. You know, you got to do the job. And like every car you see, no matter what city, state you go to, pretty much they're going to have protect and serve on them cars. You know, so you got to get back to the basis of protecting and serving. You know, and, and really, uh, the police officers are the first ones you think of when something is bad, when you have a problem in your neighborhood or something, you know, you got your car broke into, what's the first thing you do? You call, the, just like when you first see a, a smoke, you call the fire department. We're talking with Big Mitch from Comfort Zone Security and Investigations, LLC. I, I got to ask you this. Did you see the headline that they are going to stop running uh, Cops, the TV show? No, I didn't hear that today. I pretty much, like I said, I worked at 12, so I've been <laughs> off, you know, I haven't been glued to TV as of yet, and I haven't been on any social media outlets, but uh, is they stopping because they're not going to film anymore, or they're going to do no reruns, or they're just pulling off the air altogether? I think they're pulling everything, and, and the crazy thing is, I always looked at that show as a deterrent. This is what you should not do. It's, you know, because when you get pulled over, you know, it's it's about your conduct of how you're going to be treated, I believe. Um, and, and, you know, when you saw those episodes of cops, like we all have, and to pull that off, uh, because of, I don't know, the, the snowflakes, the, 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 you know, people that are offended easily. I don't know what that deal is, but you know, not too long ago, about six months ago, Mitch, I got to tell you, I was flipping through channels and I landed on BET and they had a show called cop watch and it was civilians filming police officers in uniform. And they even had like a most wanted sign of, of police officers in whatever city it was. And I just thought to myself, "Oh no, what 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 is this program? The, the cops, the the cops by and far are the good guys." Yes, I mean for the most part, and I, like I said, I've been working in like the different municipalities, and I've been around a lot of you know professional law enforcement people. Yeah, and everything. I mean, I, and I do truly believe that for the most part, you know, they will. We would do. And I say they, I'm gonna say we. We do go above and beyond. We do try to do. Leave, a, leave that environment safer than we found it. 
and try to do it the right way, you know. But again, you know, it's always, you know, the bad apples who always make the news. And then when it, when people that know you being lost, when the person asks you, man, what y'all doing out there? What y'all, what, what's wrong with you all? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what you mean you all? We all went through a different, we all went through our own personal training and academy. We all had to, you know, fire, fire our weapons individually. We all had to do, do the obstacle course individually. So it's always, it, it's a team concept, but it's an individual mindset. Right. Oh, man, that's a great point. That is a great point. Now, when you went to when you went to police officer school, I don't know what you call it, law enforcement uh, academy. Yeah. What, is that training a lot different? Is it a lot shorter or a lot uh, less than it is now? Uh, do you know how it's different? Well, I think only difference is that uh, it depends on the state because each state has different post. That's true. So when you go through the academy, like in Memphis, and when I went to the police academy, it was you know every bit of almost eighteen weeks. So, you know, it, it, it was pretty consumed because you got to do the defensive driving. You got to do road stops. You got to do different types of uh, uh, scenarios. Right. But at the end of the day, it's all police one-on-one. You know, they teach you, like, hey, you know, police safety first. They teach you, you know, to, to uh, how to operate vehicles and how to, you know, perform it with equipment you've been issued. So I think when you go back to the basics, I mean, you can't go wrong because it's police one-on-one. It's only when you start stepping out of that zone and out of that uh, type of training that, you know, that you initially – was given, and, and, and that's when you kind of get tripped up because the basic training always you can re- revert back to it. Absolutely. Any good training is going to make it second nature to you. Well, Big Mitch from Comfort Zone Security and Investigations, LLC, I think there's more to unpack here and to talk about, so hang on the line. We're going to come back in our next segment to talk more about the headlines we're seeing and what this experienced law enforcement man has to say about it. Next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and I thank you very much for tuning in. Part two of my conversation with my buddy Big Mitch from Comfort Zone Security and Investigation, LLC, continues because the headlines of defunding, dismantling the police uh, is all over the news, and it's happening. Seattle popped up on uh, Thursday. And, Mitch, i got to ask you, is that even a reality to think that the police departments could be dismantled or defunded? Well, I, I'm looking at it, you know, through through the lenses of of, an, of a civilian now. Like I, said, I just I just retired from Moscow Mills as a lieutenant in this past December, so I only I only been gone for a while. But uh, back to your question is that the funding it, it coming in, in, in a, I think in in a sense where they are looking at okay, why are we giving all these funds when we got to get more training? Like I just recently saw Michael Jordan donate a hundred million for training, so I think the training is the key yeah. because again, putting officers on the street does not guarantee you that you get an officer on the street that know how to deal with the situations that's on the streets. Because Some officers ain't, ain't never been trained. you going through the academy if it, if it equipped you with all the knowledge you would need to be able to perform those tasks and those jobs and them things out in the street because it's going to present a different thing from what the academy presents. The academy gives you scenarios. Okay, every scenario in the academy is in textbook. Sure. So you got on the streets, how they said to do a traffic stop in the street is based on a scenario, but when you got there in real life, that person might do things different than what you was trained, but you also got, if you got your mindset right, you still know how to adapt and overcome to that situation. Mm, great point. Great point. And it is changing every day. Now, if, if, I, I don't know, do you come across people, young people that are, that are interested in law enforcement? Do they like come to you and confide, Hey, should I do this? Should I not do this? You ever get that? Yes. You know, I've, I've uh, you know, just recently, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, this guy I met, you know, and I was out doing some, some like I said, some private security. And he was like, you know, uh, you know, he saw my blue lights going because I still, you know, have blue lights in vehicles and stuff. He's like, hey, uh, 
You know what I'm saying? My joint is going through the Eastern Missouri Police Academy out here in St. Charles, you know, and I say, well, that's the best. If you go to the academy, you can get picked up by an agency once you graduate because you have your post-certification. But at the same time, they got a bulletin board out there for agencies that are hiring, and you can always put your application in ahead of time and let them know when you graduate and follow back up with them. So, yeah, I mean, they're just one individual, but I think a lot of people still believe in, in the profession, you know, and I don't think, you know, it, it's been that far beyond repair. Right. I just think it starts from their head, and they gotta, you got to drone it down to the office on the street, and they got to know they, that they're being taught properly, and they got know they got to execute that stuff they've been taught the correct way. And I think if we get back to that, it will definitely clean up the misconception that people are having about the police and the, and the, uh, the trust worthiness they have about the police. Because, again, you know, when a police officer say, I didn't do something, then all of a sudden a tape show up, a video showing them doing exactly what they said they didn't do, it does send a different message uh, that there's dishonesty in the police department. I get that. But at the same time, that's not to speak for the, every law enforcement officer that's working the job. Right. Now, did you do, uh, were you in the military as well or no? Yes, I did 13 years in the military. I did eight years Army, and I did five years Air Force. I was actually with security police military as well. Mitch, you, know, so. you never surprised me, man. You you have been serving your country and your 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 community from a very young age, man. I cannot thank you enough for your service. Me being an Air Force brat, I've just got huge respect for you. Now, here's a comparison. Uh, just you and me talking. Here, here's a comparison. One one guy does something bad in Minnesota. And the whole police department across the country is all bad, right? That's what the that's what the narrative is that they push. But one military person does something bad, and everybody's not jumping on saying, you know, like when they when they had the prisoner issue in Iraq and there was torturing or whatever going on. The, the public didn't say every every military member is a bad person. I don't understand the disconnect there. Do you have any well, idea? Well, that's a good point, you know, and I don't understand why. And I think because when the military, you know. You ain't really seeing stuff play out over the TV when they're out there doing maneuvers, when they're out there doing different type of, uh, uh, I guess, patrols and stuff like that, whereby as a police officer, you out here in the, dealing with the public more. The military dealing with countries and stuff that you're yeah. doing or on, the, or on the base. You're patrolling the base because your authority is patrolling the base. So they ain't talking about domestic violence. They answer to some of the soldier members who are into it with their family members. They don't talk about some of the uh, things that might happen in some of the NCO clubs or clubs is on the base because, again, the media ain't covering that. But out here, you know, the media are, are, are involved very much when they hear something come up with a scanner or they get some kind of insight that something's going, happening, you know, they, they dead on it. And so it, it, sometimes you, you don't see where we're going live, you know. So, you know, so, again, again, I think you're right. It doesn't cover the same concept, but the police department are, of course, called paramilitary when they come out of uniform, insignia, when they come down to weaponry, when they come down to... Uh, I guess having a standard, you know, it's pretty much paramilitary as well. You know, it was it was natural for my daughter who did three tours in Iraq with the U.S. Army when she came well, back and yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, I'm old too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm seasoned. Yeah, I'm but, seasoned. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but when she came back, her mindset was, you know, if I've policed the world, and she wasn't an MP, but she was in the army. If I've policed uh -huh. the world, I want to police my community. And she was a prison guard. She was a sheriff's deputy. She did all these things. And I thought, wow, that's a great resource, I would think, for these police departments that are having a hard time, uh, you know, getting good employees, getting good members to sign up to be law enforcement. I, I don't know, you know, what I don't know what the, is offered at any individual police department or sheriff's department, but I, I think it's a natural transition because of your training in the military. I think it makes good sense. Would you agree? 
I totally agree, but at the same time, Bo, uh, one thing that a lot of people in civilian sector don't understand that, you know, police officers are calling either people are mad, bad, or sad. They don't call and say, you can come in and have some cookies and milk. A lot of times they're mad, bad, or sad about something. So when you answer these calls, you know, and you're dealing with the negativity of people, you're saying the good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah. it's hard to let that go. So you do that day in and day out. Let's say you all of a sudden you're driving around in your police car, you dispatch say shots fired, whatever. You get there, a kid playing with firecrackers. So your heart rate go up and down. Then all of a sudden you drive cruising, pull up along at the windy. You get there, the clerk pulled the wrong money out and set the alarm off. Right. So you're constantly, you're constantly getting, uh, I guess, uh, heart-wrenching calls, and then you definitely deal with some of the, the shootings and some of the people that flatline right in front of you and, and things like that. And then you got to go home. You don't have no unwind. You don't know how to you know, deal with some stuff that you just seen. You can't wake your wife up and say, hey, honey, guess what just happened? This is what I had to deal with. Right. You can't, you can't, you, and you're dealing with some kid stuff that some, uh, I say some kid crimes. You can't go home and look in your daughter's room and like, wow, she's safe. Because you just saw somebody who was that age, you know, that had an issue. So police work is very stressful and they have a lot of critical incidents where officers don't have no outlet. So what they do, they, they get with each other and you, and you build each other up like, you know, man, you know, it's part of our job, whatever. But sometimes you need to get away from people that do the same job you do and get you another uh, group of people that's going to keep that's gonna keep it real with you and to give you the right, you know, stuff. Because officers going to bag each other up. And so you, if you talk to other officers all the time, you're always going to have the same conversation. Right. But when you get when you deal with someone else who's a family member or somebody who's not affiliated with law enforcement, sometimes you get a true meaning and you get, you get an outlet on, on how to deal with stuff and manage your life better. Because I promise you, you know, a lot of officers, you know, they, they carry a whole lot of stuff uh, home with them, and they carry a lot of stuff inside of them. They don't have no way to, to uh, let it go. And I think they get burnt out, and that's why you get a lot of officers who get tripped up on doing the job, you know, in a negative way because I think it's more of a burnout. Well, I, I would agree. I would agree. And, you know, going to the point of, you know, when you, when you, have a, 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 when you call the police or when, you know, the police pull you over, somebody's having a bad day. Something's going wrong, right? My daughter... Hey, my da- bad, yeah, you're right. My daughter on her return from uh, from Iraq, she gets out of the army and her, her medial job was working at U-Haul. And I remember talking to her one day, she was leaving work and she's like, oh, it was a terrible day. I was like, hold on, hold on. People are moving their belongings. It's the worst day of their life. So you got to you got to be nicer to them. You know, and it was just yeah. it was one of those things where you just can't get away with it. And I guess that's my point about the law enforcement having to work so much more on their days off doing secondary work, working at Enterprise Center or whatever. I just feel bad. I think if they were making enough money at the one job, they could focus on that and then find their release somewhere else to, you know, step away. But, you know, it's designed the yep. way it is, man. I, so I think not defunding is, is the key. I think, I think uh, you know, more qualifications, whatever you got to do to make that higher paycheck to make the bills, uh, it, you've got to have some kind of release. But anyway... Uh, yes, I mean, they got things in place for officers. I mean, you get rewards, you get citations for doing such a good job. You help somebody out of a burning building or if you uh, cut somebody out of a car and cut their seatbelt and get them to safety. I mean, a lot of those things, don't they go unmentioned. Oh, you know, most of the time, you know, what sales and what gets people attention is the bad and the ugly, you know, uh, not such the good, you know. So sometimes you get a bad rap from that point as well. But any type of crime, you got to have a you know, desired opportunity, you know, and you got to have the ability. Once you remove the opportunity, then they can have a desire all they want to and have the ability all they want to, but they don't give them that opportunity. And that's a good factor for, for good policing. You got to remove.
improve the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, spoken well, sir, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for your service to your community and your country. And uh, I hope you have an, uh, an enjoyable evening. That's Big Mitch from Comfort Zone Security and Investigations, LLC. If you need something like that, call on Big Mitch. He'll take good care of you. Mitch, take care of yourself. Be safe, okay? Hey, boy, I appreciate it. And uh, bring me back on again. If you get calls in, people, you know, start a dialogue, please call me back and we can discuss more. But I appreciate the time. As long as I can remember, I've always revered our first responders as the good guys or good guys and gals. Let's be uh, politically correct, right? Well, last week on the program, I gave you some homework and I put it out on social media on my Bo Matthews page on Facebook uh, to ask your children, your young people in your household, what they want to be when they grow up. The results of that informal poll is coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. Elementary teacher. I like little kids. A babysitter. A pastor. A dolphin trainer. A gentle that eats bugs. A haircutter. A person who helps in charities. I'll need cashier at Walmart. I'll just be a policeman. Police. 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 Police officer. I caught on car chases. Cash bad guys. Well, those are some of the answers that I found on YouTube on what little ones want to be when they grow up, because that's what that's what I was asked. Were you asked that same question when you were young? What do you want to be when you grow up? Some great answers there in the audio. But last week, uh, after last week's show, I posted on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, the question to ask your child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wanted to share some of those answers because I, I thought it was it was interesting. It was inspiring as well uh, because there was a survey done a few years ago about what the number one and number two answers were for young kids, what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I think the first and second answers were rich and famous. Seriously, those that was I don't know what that survey was, but that was something I had read. So we go to my results of my informal poll from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Janice writes in, she says, Miss A, I guess that's the name of her little girl, wants to be an ambulance doctor. Uh, that's that's pretty good. As a matter of fact, she said, I should probably clarify, she loves everyone who works on and drives the wee-ow, wee-ow, that's what she calls the ambulance. And uh, so today she wants to be an EMT or paramedic. Tomorrow uh, it will be either a firefighter or police officer. Uh, Buffy Joe, she gets on Facebook and says, one of mine wants to be an FBI agent, heads to the Army basic training in about a year. So that's asking a, 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 a young adult. Um, and the other child wants to be military, police, and college. Uh, Catherine says she wants, uh, she asked her daughter, and her daughter says she wants to be a veterinarian, very popular. Although my opinion about it, when you ask a child what they want to be when they grow up, and their answer is veterinarian because they love animals. I don't think veterinarians have a, a good day every day because I've, I've been to the vet with my pets before, and it's rough. Some of the things that they have to do, maybe a, a pet sitter, an animal sitter, or uh, animal, animal rescue, maybe that, that might be a suggestion because veterinarians, that's doctor. That's serious stuff. Just my input. Uh, Dennis uh, wrote on Facebook, I don't want to grow up. Okay, so th that's fine too. Colleen says, my daughter wants to be a farm veterinarian. Wow, ramping up that uh, field. Uh, Pamela says her five-year-old niece wants to be a pet doctor. Three-year-old nephew wants to be Superman. 
great aspirations, right? Uh, Linda says, I have to grow up. Dang, that's harsh. Okay, this, this is for the little ones. Uh, Leo, well, see, now I got people on Facebook throwing all kinds of answers. Leo, who I saw on vacation, says, I'm too old to grow up now. That's pretty good. Uh, Jennifer says, 48-year-old kid, a.k.a. husband, says, a drummer in a heavy metal band. I like that answer. Uh, yeah, good luck with that when you grow up, if you ever grow up. Uh, Jennifer also says, 13-year-old kid says, I don't know, which, you know, that's that's a valid answer. Michael says, Isabella at 11 years old says she wants to be a doctor. Bailey at 5 years old says uh, they want to be a firefighter. So there's some hope for our future. Uh, Lily says her 11-year-old says they want to be a teacher. And Christy says Taden, who's 11 years old, says when they grow up, they want to be a Walmart worker. And Trey, who's 11 years old, says a video game creator and a professional baseball player. And when I put it out there, I said you can either comment by writing your answer in the comments below or, better yet, videotaping your children answering the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? So here's a couple of those. Hey, Allie, what do you want to be when you grow up? Grandma. Hey, Eli, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. You have no idea what you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. I actually uh, can't hate either one of those answers. Uh, Allie, great answer, wants to be a grandma. That's a great goal uh, because I love both my grandmas. I love grandmas. There's shirts that say uh, my grandkids love me or I'm the greatest grandma. That's an awesome answer. And as far as Eli's answer... Can't hate that either, because uh, in my senior year, third quarter, still didn't know what I was going to do. And I actually did have a desire, uh, because I'm an Air Force brat, I had a conversation in the spring of my graduation year, and I asked my father, I said, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about maybe signing up to be the military, because I'm an Air Force brat, I had a lot of respect for the military, and he candidly said, and I'm so thankful he did, he said, you're not military material. For whatever reason, he just didn't feel that I was military material. That's fine. I loved his honesty. But my next answer was, well, then maybe I'd like to be a police officer. And he said, well, it's kind of the same thing. He goes, I don't really think you're, uh, you're police officer material. And I said, well, okay, here's the deal. And I said this in my senior year. I said, I will support uh, the military and our first responders uh, till my dying day because I have mad respect for all those professions and all the facets that go along with it and all the struggles, even in 2020, as we well see. What is interesting is I didn't hear or see one answer that said, I want to be on the radio. Hmm. Maybe I should have rethunk my plan. I'm kidding. No, it's, it's it's been a wonderful life, actually. Okay, we're going to shift gears here in the next hour. We've got a great opportunity to talk with a guy that is a straight shooter. From the word go, his name is K.W. Miller. He is running as an independent in the election for the U.S. House of Representatives in Florida's 18th Congressional District. And if you're thinking, why would Bo be talking to somebody that's running for office in Florida? Well, hold on. I think you're going to enjoy what the man has to say about current events. This is the voice of St. Louis KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. We'll be right back. This is Bo Matthews, and thank you so much for listening to KMOX. Hopefully you're listening to us on the Radio.com app, which is beautiful, digital, crystal clear sound, and uh, it's very convenient to pair with your vehicle, pair with your Bluetooth headphones, or even your Alexa, where you can just say, hey, Alexa, turn on KMOX, and boom, we will be right there. Uh, If you are listening on the radio, thank you for listening to us on the radio, but you can get that app and, and pair it with your vehicle and you can hear KMOX in that digital crystal clear sound as you are uh, driving to and from. Well, my next guest, 
I was introduced to through Facebook Messenger. Somebody sent me a video of him where he talks straight from the hip. And I really enjoyed the things that he had to say. I, I, I thought he made a lot of sense. He shoots straight from the hip. I reached out to his uh, political office because he's running for election for the U.S. House of Representatives in the Florida's 18th Congressional District. And I reached out to their office, and they replied back, yes. So that's when I suggested doing a Zoom call so I could share this on my social media. Of course, you can find me on uh, all social medias, at Bo Matthews, B-O-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S. The man's name is K.W. Miller. He is not a politician, but he is run, running for a political office, the U.S. House of Representatives, Florida's 18th Congressional District. K.W. earned an undergraduate degree from the Catholic University of America in 92, a graduate degree from the UNC Cannon Flagler Business School in 98, and he has a vast career experience. Again, a businessman, just like our president, running for public office. K.W. Miller, welcome to St. Louis and KMOX. Thank you, Bo. Happy to be here. I want to talk about some of the things that you mentioned in your video that was uh, at length. I mean, it was it was extremely long, and I believe it was off the cuff. I don't believe there was a script you were reading. There was no teleprompter. This was just from your heart. Am I right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I was uh, I was at my home office just doing a little work and uh, was uh, watching, uh, obviously, the events unfold uh, in D.C., uh, as well as the rest of the country, and, and, and when I saw Lafayette Square, you know, on fire and, and uh, you know, essentially the, the church burning across the street from the White House. It, it was just more than I could bear. I, I went to school in D.C. I went to Catholic University, right. know the city well. And, uh, I, I, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very plugged into the global uh, marketplace. So we can talk about that. And my phone was lighting up from all over the world, from, you know, all of my prior you know, relationships with global leaders and, and senior business people asking me what is going on, and I, uh, I just felt like I had to speak to the country at that point in time. Okay, before we uh, dig a little deeper, uh, tell us your background. You're a businessman. You've been, doing, you've been doing international travel for over 30 years is what I got from your video. Uh, can I ask what kind of businesses you were in? Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm essentially an energy and infrastructure expert. I uh, spent 30 years uh, both, uh, you know, it, really I've lived in Europe 10 years, uh, Asia, Africa, um, you know, obviously the U.S., and my expertise is, is really threefold, uh, energy, infrastructure, and finance. So basically what I do is, is uh, build, develop, and, um, and manage uh, companies that build power plants, pipelines, infrastructure assets, water facilities, you know, everything around infrastructure uh, globally. And so what, what that has led me to, to, to do is to develop relationships with not only, not only global leaders, but also very senior you know, business leaders uh, who are, you know, essentially make the world go around. And that's, right. you know, I'm one of the people that work behind the scenes to keep the lights on, to keep, you know, to keep the infrastructure moving, not only in the U.S., but elsewhere in the world. And, you know, most of the time uh, when I had a regulatory or a political matter, I worked behind the scenes. I've never been out in the front as a politician whatsoever. I've never made a been a paid politician. So my, 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 uh, you know, my influence is really behind the scenes, you know, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time. Right. Uh, however, the current environment has gotten so bad that uh, I just made the decision that I had to come out from behind the business curtain and step up to the plate as a patriot. And you know, if I can't, I can't, I couldn't just sit back and say, we need to take our country back. I needed to demonstrate that I was going to lead that as well as other executives like me. Okay. And at what point, it certainly wasn't the night that DC was burning that you made this decision. This has been a plan uh, for how long for you to run for Congress. Right. I was, uh, well, I was initially approached um, a, a second quarter of last year, uh, you know, I'll call it mid-year, 
by, uh, by, by Washington. I, I received a call that, you know, essentially we have some problems in Florida. It's a swing state. Uh, my district uh, is a pivot district, the 18th district. The 18th congressional district in Florida is what we consider to be a pivot district. Um, it's, a, it's technically a purple district, but, uh, but leans a little bit more to the Republican conservative side. We have 25% independent voters, NPA voters. And as you probably can imagine, nobody can get elected without the independent voters these days, especially in Florida. And, and Florida is becoming the, you know, essentially the, uh, the home to the independent voters. So it started, I would say, you know, last, last July, August as initial conversations. And we basically, uh, it, took, it took about three months for people to really convince me, frankly, uh, and I had to convince myself. But after that, um, in November of uh, 2019, we, uh, we formed the committee. Uh, K.W. Uh, Miller Congressional Committee, Exploratory Committee at that time. Right. And then uh, we, uh, you know, we went all the way until the, until the deadline to file, which was April 20, 20th, 21st of this year. And we filed as, uh, as an independent. And the reason we filed as an independent was because uh, although I'm a registered Republican, the independent voters are so prevalent in Florida that you cannot abandon them. And right. The, the two-party system, you know, just didn't cover the independent. So that basically allows me to cover 25% of the registered voters in my district, as well as all of the other registered voters in the Republican and, frankly, Democratic ranks. Because I can tell you right now, we're collecting Democratic voters who are not radicals. These are, you know, down the middle of the fairway voters who just don't, they don't sign on for the leftist liberal movement. Right, right. And it, it's a scary one. And I want to get into that because the video that you had, and again, uh, you're a congressman from Florida, we're in a flyover state of uh, Missouri, um, but this is how important every congressional seat is, because you mentioned in your video, we're, we're just a few seats away from the, the, the scariest time of what this country could be looking like, and that's why I believe in your heart, that's why you wanted to get on here. Now, uh, the, before, after I saw your video, and then before this conversation, I saw another video about your campaign funding uh, being corrupt. And I want to mention to you, you've heard uh, the name Captain David Dorn. He was killed here on Monday night uh, last week by looters and robbers. Um, and I, I, it's the first time I'd ever heard that, uh, that GoFundMe uh, fake accounts were out there. And so um, a gentleman from John, uh, Jack Posebic uh, from One American News Network, he started a fund on Fundly. Uh, it's a different platform, and I don't know, you know, what where you're at with your campaign funding. And this conversation is certainly not to raise money for you. However, uh, if, if people, you know, like what you hear, like what you say, uh, of course they can do that because we need to save that that congressional seat uh, for, for the conservatives. So where are you at with the uh, funding? Okay, so uh, so essentially what happened is, uh, as you probably are aware, uh, a majority of the uh, credit card processing credit merchants are essentially controlled by liberal, you know, um, we'll call it leftist, <laughs> leftist organizations. Most sure. people don't realize that. And uh, what, what, uh, what they did was they basically took down the back end of our, of our, of our ability to collect payments uh, or collect donations from around the country, basically by blocking our credit card purchasing processors. They shut us down. And so we had to bring in outside programmers uh, fortunate, I had some relationships with some some former IBM executives who were independent, and uh, they spent the last 48 hours rebuilding. And they they had to they basically go out and handpick uh, credit card processing uh, independent merchants that were you know essentially not owned and controlled by the left. And so uh, the money that was raised to that point before you found out it was corrupt, is that gone, or were you able to hold those funds? 
or will well, you get we, access to those? Yeah, we were help, we were able to hold those. Uh, but essentially, uh, we, remember, we just started the uh, the campaign in full swing uh, within the last month. You know, coronavirus hit us right after we filed, and of course, the country was shut down. So we just essentially, uh, you know, I, I'm self-funded as a businessman. So we decided, okay, we had so many people coming to us that this said individually they wanted to donate because they wanted to support the cause. Right. You know, okay. we're not talking about corporations or big, big, big. We're not talking about dark money or special interest donors here. We're talking about individuals like yourself and me who want to donate $25, $50, hundred or, or more. It all and counts. So, so they came to us and they said, where can we donate? So we finally said, okay, well, let's set up, let's set up a donation page. And as soon as we got it up and running, uh, essentially the, uh, the dark money and leftists took us down uh, by virtually attacking our credit card merchant uh, facilities. It's got to be because they think that you are a threat. Well, K.W. Miller is our guest, and we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to dig deep into what your main video, the 26-minute video that I watched and listened to a couple of times, uh, was all about, and really ripping the lid off of who is possibly behind all this chaos that's going on in the world. More with K.W. Miller next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. This is Bo Matthews. Thank you so much for listening. Our conversation continues from a Zoom call with K.W. Miller. He is a businessman who is running for the U.S. House of Representatives in Florida's 18th Congressional District. And when I saw the video that came into my messenger box on Facebook, I just thought the guy was just honest, speaking from the heart. And I think you will, too. He's very blunt, and uh, he's got uh, some good ideas, and he also has an idea of who is behind all of this chaos and not just the chaos that's currently taking up the headlines, but the coronavirus and, and the chaos and the anarchy that we're seeing on the TV screens everywhere. So talk to me more KW about uh, some of your thoughts and why you are running for public office. Right. So essentially, look, I mean, the reason that I basically pulled the trigger and decided to run formally for Congress was because I'm, because I'm involved essentially behind the curtain for lack of better terms, um, you know, I get to see, you know, a, a, a picture of the world that, that is very private and intimate to a very select group of people just because of my business. And it, it's been clear that we have over the last 30 plus years, we, I'll say the country has been sold out by our political regime. And, and, and it's, it, you know, it was initially called just in time, you know, uh, um, uh, inventory, then it was called offshoring, and then it was called, you know, this and that. Essentially, what's, what's happened is we have basically offshored, you know, almost, almost all of our industry. We've offshored all of our production, all of our uh, intellectual property. Uh, you know, if you look at what happened in China, you couldn't go into China unless you signed, a, uh, you signed over your intellectual property as well as, you know, bringing manufacturing. So when you, when you bring all that to the current coronavirus, you know, kind of scenario, what you see is we don't have a pharmaceutical industry. Okay. Mm -hmm. All of our auto parts are manufactured in other countries. We assemble still some in the U.S., but, you know, most of that stuff done, does, it, you know, a lot of the cars that are assembled, the parts are made elsewhere, you know, and right, they're reimported. Right. Okay. So we don't have the critical components. Um, you know, all of our electronics industry is offshore, you know, uh, for the most part. The critical components to assemble even, even watches are made in China. Um, we have basically sold out our food processing facilities. The four major meat processing facilities in the U.S. are two of them are owned by four nationals companies. Um, you know, so when you look at the math, uh, we have we have basically sold out and degraded our food processing, uh, our agricultural business, our pharmaceutical industry, our electronics industry, our automotive industry, uh, our garment industry. We don't have a garment industry in the U.S. anymore. Right. Uh, right. We don't even you know North Carolina and and the, and the, the Mid Atlantic states. You know, which used to be the you know the heart of 
heartland of uh, garment manufacturing, you know, Hanes and other companies that people would know, they, you know, they're done uh, for all practical purposes. So, so what you've seen happen is, uh, you know, we have basically been sold out essentially by, you know, by the uh, globalists and, and business and who have basically permeated the government over the last 30 years. And that's both Democrat and Republican. Oftentimes you see on items that you buy or you purchase uh, or you get in the mail, um, oftentimes it'll say now designed in America, manufactured in China, right? And so that's supposed to make you feel better. Uh, KW, there is a, we're talking to KW Miller. He's running for Congress in the state of Florida, the 18th district. Um, there's a book out there called A Year Without Made in China. And I started the book and it's a family's experiment on can they live for one year without items made in China? And it's a, it's a struggle. It's a huge struggle uh, because every coffee maker, popcorn maker, everything you think of is made in China. And that means we've lost jobs. And I, I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank. I watch Shark Tank. Uh, but every time they say we need to get the cost down, we need to, you know, we have the connections to overseas manufacturing. It just it just kills me because those are jobs of companies that are trying to be made here in America, but they can't do it for the correct profit margin. Um, I, I do want to talk about more of the corruptness. Uh, the uh, uh, why? Why do, do the leftist, extreme leftist, if you want, why does uh, why do they want that power? I mean, what are they going to do with it once they get, if they, if they were to win and get everybody in a, a welfare state, then what do they do? Well, let's, let's, that's a good point. Let, let that, that was pro, that was the core, that was the core topic of my video yeah. at, at outside of the uh, general outrage of uh, lawlessness and, 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 you know, lack of, uh, uh, you know, the, the craziness that we were seeing around this country, essentially by, by bringing, uh, you know, essentially a large portion of the U.S. population under what we'll call welfare. And welfare comes in many forms. It comes in in the form of, you know, socialized medicine. It comes in the form of, you know, obviously, you know, food stamps, Section 8 housing. Provided uh, everything. It comes, everything, anything and everything that can be, can be brought in uh, as a, an equivalent to a paycheck or uh, in kind, right? Something in kind, an, uh, as we would call it in business, uh, what that does is basically bring the voter under the thumb, and so under the thumb of the, the Democrat leftist party, and, and so they're 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 pandering to the voters uh, by by basically collecting those voters. They're basically trying to collect the 2020 election, both at the presidential, Senate, and and the congressional area. Now, remember, we have to look at let's 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 dissect this, right? Let's leave the presidential election away on on the side for a minute. As you said, we're only uh, as I said, we're only a couple seats away from losing control of the Senate. Uh, Mitt Romney is a liberal rhino. Okay, you know he's gone. Uh, yeah. Okay. Before you go further, explain rhino. That was a term I. I mean, and I'm pretty engaged, but I just heard you use that uh, the term rhino. Uh, explain what that is first. Yeah. Essentially, a, a, a rhino is a Republican in name only. Essentially, it's a liberal uh, wearing a Republican uniform. You know, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And Matt, Mitt Romney is one of them. Absolutely. And uh, how so how can you identify them in in our local areas? Well, I mean, you have to look at how they, they're, fundamentally, you have to look at their voting records. Okay, okay. You know, at the end of the day, it's really all about their voting records, um, you know, because, you know, you can't really judge somebody about who they associate with, et cetera. But uh, now, for people like me, we can look, we can look behind the curtain at their, at their funding regime, but for the average person, you just have to look at their voting record, okay? How do they vote? Are they dependable? Are they reliable? Are they voting with, you know, are they voting consistently with conservative principles? And clearly, Mitt Romney is, uh, is not in that camp. Number two, you got Susan Murkowski, who basically went public and said she's a senator, said she's not going to support President Trump. She's a Republican in name only as well. She's a rhino. She's a liberal. Um, and so, so if you lose control of the Senate, though, 
okay, what happens is we, the, the Republicans or the conservative element, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to regain, for us to regain Congress. Now, I'm running against a rhino in Congress. We'll come back to that. But, but my point is, if we lose the Senate, we then have no control of the Senate. We have no control of the House. And then essentially what they're trying to do, in their, and let's assume that President Trump wins the, wins the Electoral College. Essentially, he's a lame duck president. Right. You can't get nothing done. Right. That's, that's essentially where they are. And so they'll, they'll basically, they're, Donald Trump is isolated as a president as, it's, as it is today. I said that in my video. That's a fact. What they're trying to do is, is basically remove that last control factor that the conservatives have to protect the country, which is the Senate. And if you look at what's happening, what's the goal? The biggest goal is to, is to stack the Supreme Court. That's the biggest goal on the table right now. Okay, uh, essentially, uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg is hanging off for dear life, hoping that the Senate turns and then she'll retire. Right, okay, she's right. very ill. She's not well. Um, you know, it, it, so she's hanging on, uh, you know, to be, not to be, you know, rude. She's, she's an American citizen, obviously been a, been a, been a uh, you know, a, 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 a servant. A, yeah. servant. Yep, but it's yep. time for her to go. But so they, she is basically not retiring under Trump's watch if she can help it. But so the Supreme Court is in play. Um, the control of the Senate's in play. Uh, the Senate or the House is probably not in play because the, 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 the seats that we would have to take back from rhinos and from, from liberals, are, it's a big count. Okay. Uh, it's not impossible, but it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hard push. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what's happening in, in the, the, the landscape of what we're dealing with right now. Now, Donald Trump um, is, just, is just a man. Now, uh, essentially, then you look at Joe Biden. And if you look at, you know, the two, you would say, well, it's a no brainer. But the practical side is you're not they're not voting for Joe Biden, the man. They're voting for the fact that Joe Biden is a, a le essentially under the liberal leftist Democrat. I've, I've even heard I've even heard that you're not voting for uh, Joe Biden. You're voting for who the vice president is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that'll be a female and it'll probably be a minority. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so so are you saying that the, the controlling by chaos is the left? the left's goal absolutely in the in the chaos that we're in i mean i've got masks in my car i mean i we haven't left our property you know very much um and and so you're saying that the more they can get on the government dole uh the more control that they're going to have yeah the more the more control of the population the more control that the uh, the left has uh and then basically what they can continue to do is what they're doing you see you have to understand what trump look trump i'm not i'm not a cheerleader for donald trump let me be clear with everybody that I think he has issues, but I also think he's a constitutionalist, and I think he, he's, a, he's a patriot. We all have issues, by the way. Right, right. We, so we all have, we are, nobody is perfect on this earth, right? right? If, matter of fact, if, I would encourage you, if you haven't already seen it, uh, uh, seen an interview with David Letterman back in the 80s, you see interviews through the 90s with Phil Donahue and things like that. I, I look at these videos and I'm like, he's the same guy, KW, he's the same guy. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I believe he loves this country, I, I personally do. And right. But, but he's not perfect. Nobody at, is. But you have to look at what, what they're fighting, okay? What they're fighting is the unwinding of what they've put in place for the last 30-plus years. Yeah. And by unwinding all of the offshoring and the globalist activities that they basically engaged in, had the country get, get locked into, okay, that basically Trump is a figurehead for the resistance of that movement. So yeah. by anything, by any means necessary, Trump has to go. Uh, and, 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 and that basically is an attempt to kill the movement to take the country back. So it's really all about taking America back. Now, listen, let me tell you something. If somebody said to me I had to pay 20 cents more per pound for, to have a steak, 
because I, because I could buy U.S. beef, I'd do it. Absolutely. Somebody said to me, my vegetables are going to cost me so much more a pound, I'm going to pay it. Just like any other thing, it, because it's something called security supply in business. And we, we saw with the coronavirus, this is where my business side comes in, is when you have a crisis, whoever has the, the, the inventory of whatever's needed is going to keep it in their country for their people first. And, you know, so, so, so we're not going to be importing food, okay, from other countries in a crisis because they're going to keep it for themselves. Sure. So we have to be food dependent. We have to be energy dependent, independent, excuse me. We have to be pharmaceutical and medical independent. Boy, that is so true. And boy, did we learn the hard way when the coronavirus started to spread around the globe. K.W. Miller is our guest. We're going to talk more about his thoughts and why he wants to, as a businessman, run for public office to make real change. Coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. This is Bo Matthews, my guest, K.W. Miller, a businessman running for political office, the U.S. House of Representatives, Florida's 18th Congressional District, and he's on the ballot in the general election for November 3rd, 2020, and we're talking about China and how we have been, uh, you know, basically caught with our pants down, especially as soon as the coronavirus spread around the globe. It was so hard. You remember it was so hard to get masks and hand sanitizer and uh, other other needs that we had. Toilet paper, of course, that was uh, number one on the list. K.W. Miller, continue this conversation on our Zoom call about what is going on on a global spectrum. We, we were basically being blackmailed by China. And, and, and if we didn't go easy on them during the virus, they weren't going to continue to ship critical manufactured and pharmaceutical drugs to our country. Now, well, we learned the hard way, didn't scare, we? If that doesn't scare the hell out of every American, nothing will. Yeah, okay. and, and the biggest pharmaceutical companies are based in the U.S., but none of the manufacturing is done here. Nobody we, manufactures. Learned, we learned the hard way. KW, explain in simple terms what dark money is. You mentioned that. I mean, I can imagine what it is, but for just the layman person driving down the road or sitting there listening, what does dark money mean? Dark money, for lack of better terms, is what we consider to be untraceable money uh, via, via nonprofit donations uh, into, you know, essentially political action committees or PACs. So um, when you look at uh, candidates um, who are, you know, primarily on the left side, the liberal side, and, and, and also I will say the conservative and the Republican Jews as well, uh, it's essentially a shield. So you don't know who really is donating. It could be a, a it could be 100 or thousand LLCs that are aggregating money and dumping it into a political <coughs> action committee. Uh, and you would never be able to trace that money. So it could be from China. It could be from Russia. It could be from, uh, from George Soros, uh, or all the above. Okay. Now, all right. Now, if you don't think that China is in the middle of this crisis that we're in, uh, it, it would be foolish to think so. They are right in there funding along with the, the other activists, George Soros and others. Soros is just one. There are many. Right. Because they basically are all about creating chaos in the United States to keep us off our, off our foot. You know, if they keep us on the back foot and they keep us on the trajectory of globalism, which essentially is offshoring our businesses, then they win. So do you think China wants to give back the manufacturing that we've given them? Do you think they want to give back the jobs, all of the foreign exchange that we generate? We've basically built China in the last 30 years. All of the Chinese military apparatus that's been built up is on the back of the United States taxpayer. And that's really, that's really a sad state of affairs because we have given them so much business that they have the foreign exchange to build their military. We have basically built China. And their history, if you've seen the documentary uh, One Child Nation, their history has been so broke because there's so many people over there 
And the workers that are there doing all these, you know, jobs to assemble and, uh, you know, create these things that we purchased by the shipload, uh, One Child Nation speaks of they were so hungry, they had to make this rule for 35 years, I think it was, they were eating, not the rice, they were eating the rice husks, they were starving. And so, so now, and I think it was 2012 or 2015, they changed that rule. Now you can have two children. The propaganda was saying, now you can have two children. This is the new law that they put in place. Um, and so they have a reason. They want to, they, they want to, well, we can say they want to take care of their people, but I, I, they're still living in, in, in horrible poverty outside of the major cities in, in well, China. Well, it, it's a cabal. I mean, look, let's be clear. There's, there's, a, there's a cabal in the U.S., okay? It's the liberal left who, want, who is basically in control today that wants to maintain control and, 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 and increase that control. Right. Um, and there's a, you know, obviously there's a cabal in, in China, which is, for lack of better terms, the Communist Party. Um, now, our leftist government, our, our, our leftist leaders, are happy to do business with the Chinese if it suits their purpose. Okay. Now, on paper, they'll never say that. They'll say the Chinese are this or that. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, they'll continue to support manufacturing being offshore, globalist policy, and degradation of the U.S. workforce. And that's a real problem for us because ultimately we're becoming waiters and waitresses for the world. And that's what I said in my video. You did. You did. And, and again, it's a communist country. It's a, if, you, if you talk to your grandfathers or the elders in, in, your, in your circle, it's still a communist country. And we're doing so much business with a communist country. It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why I'm so offended when uh, the sharks on Shark Tank say, well, let's get it offshore and we can you know, drop the cost and all. Yeah, but you're just taken from us and you're taken from them. I do want to divert uh, to a headline that I just recently saw that China is actually moving a lot of their military towards the Indian border yes. in, uh, near India. Any, any comments about that? I ju again, I don't know the backstory of it, but again, here's another you know, multi-billion uh, population country. What's going on in your opinion? Well, I mean, you know, there's been, there, uh, there's been border disputes that you just haven't heard of for years. Um, and, uh, you know, this is just, in, uh, this is just China uh, stretching its muscle, for, for lack of better terms, um, just like they're stretching muscle in the, in the, in the South China Sea, uh, building, building basically islands with air bases, you know, dredging and building islands and air bases uh, to house their military apparatus to infringe upon international shipping lanes, international fishing, uh, international commerce when it's illegal. Essentially, what they're trying to do uh, is essentially, in, you know, impose their will over the Philippines, for example, right. over North India. Um, and so, if, yeah, they're flexing their muscle. Yeah, all their money that they're making and have made for the last 30 years, as you yeah. said, uh, is not improving the lives of their population. Yeah. No. Not at all. Matter of fact, uh, they may feel very thankful that they can now have two children. Um, let's switch gears real quick about uh, your statement that you said we can uh, take back control with legal and fair elections. Your opinion, there's been a lot of talk about mail-in elections, things like that. Uh, how can we make sure, in your opinion, that it's fair um, and legal in, this, well, in, in, in the upcoming election? Well, okay. So, so if you haven't had it happen in your, your local jurisdiction, what you'll see is, um, and, and all, I can, all I can categorize it as for your listeners, is a liberal element. And they are mobilized and they are very, very well organized. And they are 100% on the uh, initiative to basically conduct a mail-in election, mail-in ballot election in this country in 2020. They want everybody to have, they want to basically conduct this election by mail-in ballot. Now what that does, is, as you and I both know, that opens up the, the, the door to fraud across the board from every jurisdiction, from presidential election to Congress, Senate, local and state, to you know, your, your city council members and mayor. Sure, sure. Uh, you, because you can't audit a mail-in ballot. 
You know what? I want to make a point to you that we were having dinner last night and it came up in conversation um, about how this election is going to look. Are they going to get it passed to do a mail-in ballot? There's going to be vulnerabilities for uh, illegal uh, work there. Who, in, and you're in the state of Florida, okay? Even in, in, our, in my local church that I go to vote in, the people that take your that check you in and, and make your vote. Uh, the, well, they're supervisor of elections. In each uh, super, okay, supervisor of election. Who are they? They're all over 60, 70 years old, right. and they're going to say, I, I believe that the, the mantra is going to be, they're too old to be working this, so we're going to have to put younger people in there because of the, you know, the threat of COVID-19. That could be part of this plan moving forward, too, Yeah. to convince yeah. America that this is how we need to do it. You know, Trump, uh, he said he wanted to drain the swamp. Uh, in his campaign run in 2016. And you mentioned beating the bushes to find the snakes. This is the mantra that you have for your staff. Yes. And uh, uh, one thing before we let you go, and I really appreciate all the time that you've joined us, uh, uh, just, to, just to talk. You're, I can tell that you're not looking off camera. You're speaking from the heart, just like the original video I saw of you. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching it. I'm going, this is a guy that's not using any notes. He's just speaking from the heart. Um, when we talk, and I've done some interviews recently about Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. Um, and you're in that area, right? You're in, in the area that, uh, that is one of his mansions is, is that correct? He had, yeah, he had, he had a house in Palm Beach. Yeah. Palm Beach, okay. Was he one of the snakes? I mean, I know his horrible story. He was a monster, uh, the world's uh, worst p uh, pedophile. Do you believe that his death and, uh, and his life was part of that dark money? And I mean, because nobody knew how he gained all his riches. Uh, and, and the reason he, he died in prison do you believe that was part of, okay, they got the guy, now we got to do something with him? I'm not talking conspiracy theory. By the way, conspiracy theory, throw that, that, mind, that mindset out because it's just theories. People are thinking. They're thinking outside the box. And if everybody's thinking the same thing, nobody's thinking. So your thought on Jeffrey Epstein and his connections? What he was, was he was essentially their entertainment pimp. Wow. Okay. So, so the way to think about Jeffrey Epstein was, yeah, he ran in the dark money circle, but he was he was their entertainment pimp, and and and, and essentially uh, did illegal and bad things. And so when he went to jail, they, they they were exposed from that standpoint of not so much business offshoring about what they were doing personally and all of their pedophilia and other activities. And that's just a fact. I believe that uh, the FBI had uh, had uh, gathered up so much uh, you know of his equipment, his uh, computers, things like that. I think there's a lot to go with that storyline. He may be the, 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 the tip of that iceberg, but there is so much of who we're talking about today that could be exposed if that gets out. And we just need to make sure that the FBI, the DOJ is, is all on the up and up from here on out. And there's only one way to do that, and that is by voting uh, with your heart and doing your homework. And, and that's the biggest thing. If people want to contribute or they want to find out more about you, uh, where, where's the best way to go? Okay, so uh, it's real simple. It's uh... Florida18thdistrict.com. So www.florida18thdistrict.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously, or, or they can just type in on Facebook, KW Miller Congressional, and we'll pop up. But uh, yeah, no, we appreciate it. And uh, it's, we're not just fighting a local battle. We're fighting a national battle. Absolutely. Uh, my, my, battle my battle is obviously I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remove a liberal rhino in my district, Republican in name only, who basically was a plant. But I'm also basically fighting the, the national battle with others to basically take this country back and put it back on some footing that, you know, we can leave to our children and grandchildren. I think that uh, anybody that uh, has discernment in their heart can talk to somebody and know 
if they're full of it or if they're not. And uh, I, I truly believe, KW, that you're speaking from your heart, just like Donald Trump. I believe he loves this country. He wants the right things for this country. He wants to build things. He wants to get the economy roaring. And it, it seems like that uh, you're on the same path as him. Yeah, absolutely. It's all it's all about, you know, the fact that, you know, we believe in the Constitution. I believe in the Constitution. I'm a constitutionalist. I'm a fiscal conservative. And I love my country. And it shows. This week, you heard that NASCAR was banning the Confederate flag at all of their events. I'm curious as to uh, those people that got the Confederate flag tattooed on them. Uh, Plus, have you heard that a Grammy award-winning country music band has officially changed their name because of the current headlines we are living in? I'll tell you who that is coming up next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and that is the sounds of Lady Antebellum, now known as Lady A. They have changed their name officially as of this week, and I'll tell you why. And I spent a lot of time around uh, that trio. Uh, Great performer, great uh, harmonies. They are just a great band, and they're such a kind band, a whole family band. Nothing offensive about them at all, and uh, according to headlines this week, country band Lady Antebellum changes its name Lady A because of slavery reference. So what did I do? I immediately went to the term antebellum and the dictionary, and it says uh, ante is before and bellum is a Latin term for war. And so after much reflection, they say they wanted to change their name to Lady A to be more uh, to, to be more politically correct. The decision, they said, and they're a Grammy-winning group, too, they announced on Twitter, comes after much personal reflection and conversation with closest black friends, as antebellum refers to a period of time which included slavery. But band members, uh, including Hillary Scott, Charles Kelly, and Dave Haywood, say in a statement that they are regretful and embarrassed for not taking into consideration the world's association with slavery. The statement said that they chose the name after the antebellum-style home where they shot their first band photos, and it reminded them of southern styles of music. Simple as that. It was about uh, antebellum homes, and if you can think of that, uh, it's beautiful white pillars and uh, just gorgeous homes that you can see spread throughout the South. I get it, but boy, this is is being uber-sensitive, if you will, uh, when it comes to changing the name. So they're officially now Lady A. Okay, well, whatever makes you feel better, right? Uh, The other big headline this week was NASCAR. NASCAR has banned the Confederate flag uh, at all of their events. Reese Witherspoon actually tweeted a high-five emoji for her A-list stamp of approval that NASCAR has banned the Confederate flag, which begs to ask the question, all those people that uh, got the Confederate flag tattooed on them because they were a Dukes of Hazard fan or something like that, some people say it's just about history, it's not racism. But in a matter of days, NASCAR will be faced with a daunting question, how to enforce the ban at its uh, huge, rowdy tracks once fans are allowed back and campers start setting up with their RVs for race weekends. Approximately 1,000 members of the military will be allowed into Sunday's race near Miami, uh, becoming the first fans at a NASCAR event since the pandemic shut down 
uh, sports in March. The enforcement question is much more likely to be an issue when the series holds races uh, June 21st, 20, uh, 20th and 21st at Talladega, Alabama, where up to 5,000 fans are expected to be allowed in to the race. And flags are a common sight at a super speedway in the heart of NASCAR's southern base. NASCAR, is they say they're going to work to develop protocols around enforcement. It's not known where the ban ends. Will security be tasked with policing every rebel flag, string bikini, or a scrape off all the bumper stickers? Take off that shirt. Tattoo, as I mentioned. They may be making people cover up the tattoos. They do say that will certainly be a challenge, but we'll try to do it the right way. That is uh, words from the uh, NASCAR Executive Vice President Steve O'Donnell uh, that he said this past week. He says, we'll get ahead of it as we are today in letting people know that, hey, we're all about pride. We're all about America. Fly your U.S. flag high. Fly your driver's flags high and come on into the track and have a great time. But if we see something displayed at a track, we're going to have to react, and we will. More details are going to uh, come about, uh, but I'm confident, he says, that we'll do it the right way and in a smart way. Fellow drivers were quick to uh, credit Bubba Wallace, NASCAR's lone black driver, for pushing NASCAR to enact the ban. Uh, Years of bad press and hand-wringing over the fate of the flag evaporated within 48 hours once Wallace condemned publicly the relic of racing's good old boy roots. He says, I've seen too many comments and too many stories from first-time fans that come to races in years past, and the first thing they say is, I've seen the Confederate flag, and it made me feel uncomfortable. That's what Bubba Wallace said on the Today Show this past week. He says, we shouldn't have anybody feeling uncomfortable. I completely agree. I think that's a smart thing to do. And with that, my name is Bo Matthews, and that is it. Thank you so much for listening to The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money, and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr, and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, money-wise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcasts.